preparing for this during the week, um, sort of layers and layers of kind of revelation coming out of that. It is part of Lent. We're starting for the next, uh, leading up to Holy Week. Lent is the time when we prepare ourselves. And Chris did a great job of explaining. We sort of immerse ourselves in the walk of Jesus towards the cross. And we experience something. There is this big tendency, and we've got to name it in ourselves and name it in our world to kind of reduce and compartmentalize everything. So Easter is Sunday, maybe Good Friday, but that's Easter. Tick the box, done. What's the next one? Christmas, one day. That, that's not the rhythm. That is not the rhythm of life for the church with the capital C that has sustained faith through really difficult times. It's not been done by doing that. That won't serve you. And it doesn't serve our community and it doesn't serve God. And so we're trying to, as much as we can, and make it with an ease and a, um, a kind of, a, not to add, but be value-adding, life-adding, to be conscious about these rhythms. And Lent is this great rhythm that, as Chris said, a, a lot of people already have sort of jumped in. Um, part of that, because it's a season of reflection, of prayer, um, of following the way of Jesus, which is about obedience, uh, and we're going to see that come out in the, in the text today. It's this walk towards the cross um, that's a humble walk. It's a, um, it's a walk of, of denial, of, of sacrifice, obedience. And, but out of that, and here's the, here's the thing that flips it all upside down, out of that comes freedom. And out of that comes life and joy. This is not just the story of the cross. Or sin, this is the story of walking and following Jesus. And that's what we remind ourselves. And so many have uh, sort of been giving... I was actually having a talk uh, uh, with Stella. Actually, Stella, you're part of the family. You're about to get 20 bucks. We've got this thing when I tell stories about the kids and I haven't checked, they get $20. I just realised... Actually, I had one about Michael later too. This could be a costly sermon. <laughs> Stella was just saying during the week that um, Jonah and, and Stella have decided one of the things social media. And she's, uh, you know, talking about how hard. But she said, but it's also... Uh, you, you realise how much time you get back. That's the thing, right? It's, the, it's after the, the, the joy... Oh, joyful is not the right word. The discipline and obedience that is opting in. It's not religious obligation. If you feel any obligation... Um, and I, I grew up in a... And some of you might... In a, in a church, in a, in a stream of the body where this was normal. And so sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, Right? And so it's been good rediscovering by choice rather than this is whatever. And so if you feel a bit, it's like giving. If you feel, a, uh, if you feel compelled to give because of something I or we do, don't. That's not the idea. Right? That's not the point. There's a freedom and joy that comes out of sacrifice, out of obedience, out of denial. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're discovering that afresh and anew. I'm still in the uh, sacrifice and pain and um, denial part. I'm deeply in that at the moment, um, in getting used to new habits and new rhythms in this time. I want to talk about, as we go into this, epistemology and hermeneutics. I guarantee on the way in the car, you turn to your loved one or whoever was with you, or you said, I really hope, whoever's preaching, I hope they talk about two really weird terms that just seem completely unrelated to my life and I probably will never use them outside of a church context. Today's your lucky day. We're going to do that. Um, no, I, in understanding, to actually draw out some richness in the passage where, that I'm going to get Amarant to come and read in a moment, 
I want to pass through these two ideas. And to be honest, it's an idiot's guide to epistemology and hermeneutics. And I am your idiot uh, to guide you at this point. Some of you might uh, be familiar with these terms. We, we use them a bit. But when we come to Scripture, it's really good to kind of have a bit of an idea of these things here. First of all, um, epistemology, ology, the study of. Um, this was the bit which only last week we were in the car and we were talking about, he asked a question about something, he asked a question about theology. He actually said, is he in the room? No, he's not. Saved myself 20 bucks. Great. He, um, he said, we were driving back from somewhere, he said, what's going on? There's a lot of this theology talk on Sundays lately. What's going on with all of that? Um, I said, maybe, could it maybe be you're listening a little bit more? Because I feel like we maybe always... And so we were talking about the idea of theology and ology and the study of. This is, and we're, you know, saying, so biology would be the study of. You can often figure it out. Biology would be the study of. You know, um, zoology was the study of, da-da-da. This is probably not a good one to go. Epistemology is the study of. It, you probably want to pull up short of that. But it's just basically how we know things. So there's ways of knowing things. Now, this sounds a bit out there. But when you think about it, we can know things just factually. But you can also know things emotionally or, and even spiritually. The way we receive what we know, what we know. It's a classic one. In, um, through my 20s and early 30s, um, in both my role as a high school chaplain, or before that even, and then also when I started in, in youth ministry in Kelvin Grove, uh, I would do RE, and at that was still able to have do RE lessons with seniors in year eleven and twelve, which are always the most fascinating. And there will always be the classic challenge from a really bright kind of person who was who'd maybe had some had some sort of knowledge. Chris, I would get this all the time, where it's like, "Well, prove it, prove it." And what they mean is, "Show me the facts," and and particularly if the if the class I had was like a science class. or Because there's an epistemology to science. There's a way we know things. And faith has a different way of knowing. I mean, there are facts and there are, we can talk about that uh, for days. But there's also a level of knowing. So often in those conversations when I have someone, a challenging person, say, I only believe, I only believe things I can factually prove. And so I say, you don't live like that. You don't really live like that. I do. I do. I do, I do. Tell me, about, tell me about the person in this world who means the most to you. And they usually describe it. Uh, and, you know, do, do you love that? Do you love them? Yeah, I do. Prove it. I say, I'm not doubting. I'm not doubting. There's just nothing you can do now to give me that because you know that you love them. Now, that's an epistemology. There's ways that we receive truth that are not necessarily about the facts. So, there's that. Hermeneutics, again, very quickly, is how we read and interpret text to gain knowledge. Now, if some of you might have done some Bible study, we particularly use this word if you go to a Bible college. Hermeneutics is always about Scripture, but actually it's the way we read any text. It recognizes the way you read it will influence what you get out of it. So, in a way, the way you think you can know things, if I can only know things by just like reading a maths science textbook, and you bring that to a text, then you're only going to get some knowledge out. Is that making sense to you? You're only going to get some things out because you're bringing, so in a way, your epistemology, how narrow or broad you think you know, can know things, 
how will will shape what you get out of it. Now you might go so. Uh, we apply that to Scripture. How we read Scripture to gain knowledge. You might go straight away, well, I don't read Scripture to gain knowledge. That's a terrible explanation of what is going on when I come to, come to the Bible. I'm not to, you know, just answer some, you know, questions. In what year did, you know, did David come to, or where was Jesus born? You know, it's not, I don't come to it like that. Maybe you might say, well, how we, read, how we read Scripture to gain understanding. When I come to Scripture, I'm trying to understand the life of Jesus. Or you might even say, actually, I want to understand so I can live it. Or you might even say, I come to Scripture to encounter God. Each one of those levels was a shift in epistemology of what you bring in a way. You're coming and I'm wanting to know truth. So there's plenty of people there's a whole world of people who know more about Scripture at that first level than any of us in the room. They're not coming to it to encounter God. But they know more about Scripture. They might even understand the historical context more than you and I. Week by week, in this pulpit, um, and it's always been in this church, the epistemology is that we're up for all of it all the way through to encountering God. So... As a general rule, to the degree to which I'm responsible to the, the church and to Jesus, no one is it, if, if someone's got a really narrow epistemology that is not looking to encounter God in Scripture, then that, they would not be regularly, teaching regularly out of that book because we come to it looking for the fullness to actually, we, we believe, we have an epistemology. We believe that the Word is the living Word and the Holy Spirit is doing something when we come. It's unique. It's a little mysterious. It also, that idea, that really broad epistemology. You know what? In the, in the body of Christ, um, there's some people who might disagree, who might say, oh, actually, we're a bit nervous when you're that broad. The idea that when you read a scripture and when I read a scripture, God could do something unique and different in you than in me. Mm, it just means one thing. That's okay. We, we really believe that there is an encounter between God and you. And so there can be a breadth to that. Now, my friends who believe that, they're kind of right because it is risky. So also in this pulpit, because we have this broad epistemology, we, we are inviting you to encounter the living God in Scripture. So people have got some good hermeneutical tools because there's some rules. It, it is dangerous in the hands of, that's how cults are formed, right? When it can mean anything just because of the way you read it. So there's some really good established and received wisdom for, for thousands of years. And again, in this pulpit, there's always the people who preach understand those things so that there's rules like, yeah, you should really be wary about someone who gets up and says, for the first time I interpreted this. It probably should always broadly mean what it's always more broadly mean. It's important that Things like understanding the Greek and the original language, all those things are like a tether to anchor us to something. But then also we're looking to encounter God. So that's this kind of crossover between these things here. This morning we're going to do, um, we're going to look at one word in particular that I think there's an invitation to experience God, particularly for us in this. But understand that that's what we're doing here. We're 
we're both coming to it expecting something, expecting something of the Holy Spirit at work in the, um, in the text. Does that make sense? How do I go with that? Helpful? Maybe. We'll see at the end. Okay, fine. Um, Amrat, could you come and read for us, please? Thanks, Graham. The baptism and testing of Jesus. Uh, we're reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So, um, Mark 1, we're right at the start of um, Mark. And to give you a bit of an idea too that of what's often referred to as the synoptic gospels, it's the way all the gospels tell the story of the life of Jesus. Um, there's points across the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, where they tell almost, and, and particularly um, uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke, have, have a lot of crossover and at times even use the same passages. And so they really come together and there are times they really divert. And again, this is one of those you might have come across. It's one of those really um, common kind of folk criticisms of Scripture where people go, ah, oh, it's all copied off each other. Or they say, oh, they all tell a different story. It's a really, if you come across that, it's such a shallow understanding of Scripture. Um, it might, you might necessarily um, have a great answer to that. But whenever someone's saying that with confidence, that's someone who doesn't, who doesn't whether they're Christian or not, doesn't understand ancient text, Scripture. Um, there are times when it comes together because they're receiving from an oral tradition. And so it's been passed down. There are times when it's separate. It's a bit like you've probably heard of an intersection and you've got four people on different corners are going to see things differently. But not only that, if you've got a lawyer on one corner, a mechanic on another, a policeman and a, you know, a nurse, they're also going to be watching for different things. And so we get this beautiful texture of where it agrees, but also where, we, where it comes apart. Now, Mark, the Holy Spirit working through Mark does this thing that's uh, unique and we're going to encounter this. And the word I want to zero in is kind of what Mark's known for. Mark was the, the youngest um, of the of the writers it has a pace and energy and it it kind of sounds like when you read it which we rarely do in the whole thing it's like he's got the next thing and the next thing it's like someone who's young who wants to tell you this whole story he's telling this whole story and it has um, a particular pace and that's because and we see for the first time uh, this word just as or at once this is almost like his signature thing that he does. Uh, and depending on what scripture you read for, uh, from, it can be interpreted immediately, um, straight away, all at once, uh, just then. Uh, what's, this, what's the um, 
There's a, the King James Version. Uh, it's, got a, it's like one of those biblical classics. Uh, henceforth. Henceforth. Sorry, Charles, I looked at you for that. That's, I wasn't implying anything there. Um, so this word appears twice, and it's a really important word, and sometimes people kind of describe The other one is, and suddenly, um, Dwayne and I were talking about this, suddenly this happened. Uh, it appears more than 40 times at really key points where he's clearly doing a thing. Now, depending on who you read and the epistemology, here we go, we're going to start to apply that. At a very base level, scholars kind of widely agree, and, and, and those who are not coming to encounter God widely agree. One of the things, it's just a rhetorical device. And then, and then, and then. And he uses it because he's moving the story on. It does that. But also those who've come and are looking and over centuries have found and discovered something that I think is really important, particularly as we start this Lenten journey. Um, so, interestingly, in the first two, there's two words there. That it's the same word, but different rendering. So, maybe a little similar like knowledge and knowing. You could almost use it interchangeably, but you'd use them for a particular context in a particular way. So, uh, I'll... And in this first bit here, both versions are used. So this first one, just as, is euthios. That's my best attempt at saying it. We're going to run with it. Connecting one moment to the next, swiftness and smoothness in progression of time and events. So that's this idea of kind of moving it forward, time. It, it's then, and then it happened, and then it happened, and then this happened. And, and it's like showing that it's all connected and moving the story on. That's euthios. Um, then in verse 12, it does Euthus, again, my, my best version. And so it's rendered differently in the English. When, when we say rendered, that's when people read in the original language and then say, oh, I think that's the best English word. The reason why all of the different translations are so different, different people say, oh, I think actually that's the best word, or that's the best word. It's the same origin. Now this, and what I want to look at today, this has a, a, a slight no delay in action or response. And particularly... This gets you connected with actions of Jesus or the disciples. And the sense is there's like a trick that we need to know. What would have the first hearers heard when they heard that in the Greek? What would they have understood? They would have understood that word to have this sense of there's nothing to get in the way. It almost has a, like a structural integrity, straight. It's, uh, it, it happens and it's all lined up. And the sense here that it uses throughout Scripture that Mark leans on this, well, we can have a look here. Well, sorry, let's do Euthios first. Here's some other places where you pick up the context. This idea of connecting one moment to the next, keep it moving forward. News spread about him, just Jesus, quickly over the whole region. That's, behind that is that word Euthios. Immediately the girl stood up. So Jesus is a bit later on healing, uh, uh, healing a girl. Immediately she stopped moving the story. He did something and then immediately has a sense of time. Have a look uh, for you thus. Straight away, no delay in action or response. It's actually the very next passage. So we finished off when Amrit led. We finished off at 15. At 16, Mark, again, this story, there's a whole lot in Matthew, Mark and John that happens chronologically. Mark goes under the Holy Spirit... Here's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here's how it started. Here's what God did. 
And then Mark wants to go, and straight away, here's how then Jesus went and brought other people into his ministry. So there's a very important connection. God did this with Jesus, and it started him on this kingdom journey to go and preach the kingdom of God. The next thing Mark wants you to know, then Mark, then Jesus, it's like he's got to do that with the group. So he goes and have a look at the repeated pattern. Mark uses the word euthos here. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets. Then to Zebedee and his brother John. Uh, he, saw, he, called, uh, he saw James, son of Zebedee, brother John in a boat. Without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Mark wants us to see that just as Jesus followed God, it happens immediately. It's straight away. And when God speaks, Jesus responds. There's an obedience. He turns up the volume in this word and all the way through with the idea to follow Jesus has an obedience. And then here, even at great cost, even if you've got to leave things behind to respond, there's an obedience at sacrifice. This is the way we follow Jesus. Hmm. This is the way we follow Jesus. And obedience, sacrifice, that's normal. That's what Mark is saying here in this language. As I was preparing, called to mind John. When the Gospel of John here, the words of Jesus, right near the end of his life. Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That word as there. I think in my mind, I have often read it or understood it, and maybe you have too, again with a sense of time. First God sent Jesus, then he sent us. That's what Jesus is saying. I did this thing and now it's your turn. I'm saying that, and, and that's true. That's not wrong. That word in the original language is not really about time at all. It's actually in the same manner that God sent me, I send you. In the same way. Paul, as he often does, picks up the words of Jesus and says it in a lot more words. <laughs> but Philippians 2, which is one of my sort of go-to passages to remind me of who I am in following Jesus. Paul fleshes it out. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? It's a rhetorical question to believers. If, if this is you, then listen up. Any fellowship? If, if, if there's any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? If any of that's true, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. In the same way in which Jesus was sent, you should be sent. And it goes on. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to the cross. Again, this is the way. This is the way Jesus walked. And Paul's, Paul's evoking Jesus to say, you must walk in this same way. 
humbled himself, died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place highest honour and gave him the name above all other names. That name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth, under the earth, every tongue declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus walks through the earth with this confusion. I still don't understand it, if I'm honest. But there's richness in it. Fully human and fully divine. Um, and it's moments like this, in this passage, it's, us, it's important for us to see him as fully human in demonstrating what it is to be fully human, to live a life fully devoted. So it's not Jesus in his divine form where it's just easy it's Jesus experiencing what it's like to be human and then showing this is the way we walk so there's no outs unfortunately for us in fact it's just it lifts the rays that we're to walk through life like this this is why Lent is such an important season for us I'm going to get the, the, the team to come up this is why Lent is so important for us folks as we finish if we're going to walk in this way. Here's the good news, because I, I can't do that. I can't. I've demonstrated it. I'm very close to a lot of people in this room. There's a bunch of people who um, uh, I'm related to. They know the truth of how far short I fall of this in myself. Just after Jesus says this, he says this, straight away, straight away. <laughs> and then he says... He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to do that. Don't even try. You'll make it worse. Don't even try to do that. Humble yourself. Sacrifice. Denial. Don't even try. You'll do a poor effort. It'll be confusing for everybody else. It'll be painful for you. And you'll fail. Just operate out of a different spirit. I was reflecting on all of that and I had this beautiful aha moment that took me full circle. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, this is when Jesus is, re is receiving and responding to the, to the call of ministry to walk this way. What happens? Heaven was torn open. We're going to come back to the word because that word... Load up the drama. If you're someone who makes a, in a, a move in your head, load up the drama. Heavens were torn open. And the Spirit descended. God said to His Son, you're not going to be able to do that. It's fully human. The Spirit, just as I, just as God sent Jesus, He sends us. And then He went out into the wilderness who was at work? Who does Mark, the Spirit of God, want us to see who was at work? Sending to, it was the Spirit. It wasn't that the Spirit took him to temptation. It was the sense of which the Spirit goes with us. Because you're not going to be able to do that, whatever valley you're walking through. You're not going to be able to do that. It's more than that. It's not an issue of performance or faith. God does not intend that you do that alone. You don't need to. It's the Father heart of God saying, you don't, you don't need to do walk that valley. You don't need to walk that life by yourself. <sighs> that word only appears twice 
Mark only uses this word, torn open, twice. You can see it's from where we get the English word schism. It means completely rend and open up. The heavens were fully opened up for God to speak. God's breaking into the world in Jesus. That's what's happening. Don't worry about what's, what God is saying. What God is doing is breaking into the world in Jesus. Do you know, only one other time. Same word. On his death. I'm, I'm not kept in a box anymore. The spirit which previously been active in the world but worked in a certain way, limited time and limited capacity on a number of people, God was saying, no, 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 the spirit is poured out. It's, break. it's a complete break. There's nothing that stands in the way in the fullness of God for you to follow Jesus. It's been torn open. Oh, that was good. When I landed on that, is anyone else encouraged by that? Why don't you stand on your feet? Lord God, Spirit of God, I'm so thoroughly aware in this moment that there's something to be received and not said. There's an epistemology moment going on where the the truth and the power of this for my friends, for my brothers and sisters, some of whom are in seasons where they really need your breath to empower them, to not walk alone, to walk through. That is not a work of me, of words, of understanding. There's something deeper. As we walk towards the cross, as we join in this journey, as we seek to walk as Jesus did, not just for the 40 days of Lent, because the, the, the world, our 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 city, our streets, our families are crying out for the sons of daughters, followers of Jesus to walk humbly, to continue to choose a better way, to live sacrificially. The world's crying out for that. We can't do that. At our best efforts, we fall so far short in mark. It's got to be a work of your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe on us.